Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Myths and Stories, a Destiny 2 lore podcast. Uh, For anyone not in the know, the season 19 finale quest and subsequent cutscene dropped today. Uh, So I'm going to give you a warning right now. If you have not done that or don't want to hear about it, skip this episode until you have done it. Uh, Put your your fingers in your ears, hit the stop button right now, go do that, and then come back. We'll still be here, I promise. Yeah, it is well worth experiencing on your own blind, and uh, we are, you know, this is the spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about spoilers. Um, Additionally, this is a very uh, quick and dirty episode. There's going to be little to no editing, so... Sorry in advance. Yay! He has no control over me this time. Yeah. Yay! (laughs) But without further ado, we are going to get into primarily the cutscene and the dialogue immediately after that cutscene that takes place in the helm and try and break down some of the particularly, uh, you know, impactful moments as well as little tidbits of info we may have picked up on and theories we have from it and all that good stuff so absolutely this was a this was a fantastic uh i I, my wife and i were crying as we were playing it's it's so good it's so fucking good this is this is the level of like storytelling that that i think drives destiny and and god it's so fucking good It it really is. The, they, I think this is one of the best story moments that they have had. I, I think period. you're right. I think you're right, man. Like this is this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to to kind of go through it chronologically as far as what's um happening. Uh, so leading up to the the cutscene. We go to the helm, and we have a we see a discussion between Rasputin and Anna Bray, uh, and we learn that Aramis has succeeded in getting access to the Warsat network, uh, complete access to it, and has also apparently discovered the protocols that Rasputin had put in place by Clovis Bray the first because this was Rasputin's original uh, design, original uh, purpose, was to remove and replace the Traveler. Yep. And as these, such... These are all those different like car hair protocols that... Uh, yep. Yep. That that are mentioned anytime anytime you look at Rasputin lore, there's always like car hair this or or adherent whatever. Like these are all different protocol names that are just basically programs telling Rasputin what to do next. And any type of like uh, car hair, which I think car hair black specifically, is the delete the traveler and replace it. Yeah, I think it's car hair black is the like uh, the set of. Um checksums that need to be uh need to to tick off you know traveler is leaving humanity in danger imminent uh you know extinction event that kind of thing uh in order to enact what is the abhorrent imperative and that is the actual act of using warsats as weapons against the traveler 
to cripple and or destroy it, threaten it, whatever the intention is. Yep. So Aramis having access to this is bad. It's very bad. And Rasputin acknowledges that we are out of options. We do not have time to try and wrest control of the Warsat network away from her. Uh, it's essentially like we need to do something now or there's nothing we can do. And the only thing, the only avenue that we have now is for Rasputin to be uploaded into the uh, the Warsat network via the um, orbital station uh, above Earth and then to initiate his self-destruct sequence and take all of that network with him. And uh, so that's what we do. We find our ways up, find our way up to, uh, I think it's the, is it the Seraph station? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. The Seraph uh, station, uh, the same, same mission that we, we do the Seraph station stuff through, but obviously this is like the finale of it. So like mm-hmm. we're running through it kind of quickly. Like uh, it, it puts you literally right in the, the orbit scene. Cause uh, yeah, right the whole reason the why space jump. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the whole reason for that is cause uh, uh, and Rasputin mentions this too, is that Aramis has locked out all the backdoor protocols. So they have all, all access to the Seraph station has been shut out uh, internally by Aramis. So she's, she's in complete control right now and she's, she's, she's going to do it. She's going to blow the traveler up and say yep. to hell with this. I win like darkness can't win if there's nothing there to conquer um, type attitude. So yeah, so we land on that. We start we start bippy bopping along in this thing and well uh, a small bit um not lore relevant but just like a really cool moment that I I stopped despite the like impending doom I stopped for a second <laughs> and looked the um the space battle outside yeah. of the space station between Aramis's forces and the cabal and you've got idols yeah yeah you've got like catches and uh you know that are are shooting at the various cabal cruisers and whatnot and it was just it was such a cool backdrop while you're hopping around the edge of the space station trying frantically to you know get there in time and it it was just a really awesome set piece it really was. They did. They again. I, as far as like skyboxes, Bungie has been knocking it out of the park lately. Like, I mean, the very the very first time you go through the Seraph mission, and it's like you see the traveler from above. That angle is just, oh my god. I mean, that's that's good. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So we you start jumping through this thing. Uh, you get up to the hangar bay, and it's there's Aramis. Like it's and and like you look at her and it's like, all right, time to kick some teeth in. Let's go. Uh, and so you start fighting her and as you fight, as you fight her, uh, obviously she's calling in more and more forces. And, uh, uh, my wife and I did kind of like a little, like, haha, here's darkness in your face thing. We did the whole thing as stasis, <laughs> <laughs> which was like a cool little, like, fuck you, Aramis, yeah. I'm gonna use your powers against you. Um, so we literally had like 10 stasis turrets up. It was so <laughs> stupid. Um, but yeah, so she's fighting you, you're fighting back, but like the whole time that you're fighting her, you're doing very little damage to her. 
Like, she really isn't taking any damage. Like, you can see, if you look at her health bar, it's, it's gated into two spots. And so it's like, okay, we're going to get, in your mind, you're like, okay, this is a typical bungee thing. We're going to get to a midpoint. She's going to go immune. We're going to have to find some way to get her immune. But the whole time, she's, like, taunting you. She's she's telling you, you know, like, bring it on. Like, let's go. But she really isn't taking a lot of damage. And so as the fight progresses, more and more the hangar bay opens up. And she's just, it's almost like she's hurting you. Um, and so as... As you're getting herded through this section, she eventually blips out and 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 leaves, and you're left with the rest of her forces and to find your way to uh, to the rest of, through the rest of the ship and the rest of the mission. And uh, this is kind of the first time we see a difficulty thing, and not to take away from the lore stuff, but and I was asking Myth this before. I think that the level of difficulty that's shown here is what we're going to start seeing come lightfall with strikes and stuff like that. I think this is the... Because when you when you go to click on the mission, it automatically sets your power to something, um, whatever that inherent number is. It says requires 1350 to do the mission, but it sets your power to whatever number Bungie wants it set to, to where the mission feels a little challenging. And I was I was very pleased with that. I, I actually yeah. really enjoyed that. I, I was afraid at first off, like, oh, is this going to be like the patrol space difficulty? Like, that feels a little rough. But... Uh, Myth and I, I think, kind of talked through it and kind of reassured each other, like, no, 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 the patrol area is going to be like the entry level difficulty, whereas like this might be like more of a strike level difficulty. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it so far. Like, it, if this is like the testing ground for it, I'm, I actually really liked it. Yeah, well, they had um, had it in this and that in the same way or a very similar way to how the like legendary campaign for Witch Queen. Went oh as yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yep. So, oh yeah, that's right. Because my wife and I did it together uh, through the mission, and it was, it was. I felt like it was a little bit more beefier than what a a, sing- a solo player would have. Would have. Yeah, yeah. Been. I think it's tuned a little bit. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, Aramis pieces out and essentially says like everyone else deal with them. You know, buy me time, kind of thing. I uh, and you fight your way through to the bridge, um, and. At the bridge, you have a boss fight with a uh, hive wizard because the hive and the fallen uh, of House Salvation are, you know, now both under the the witness, both on the same side against us. And the the fight itself isn't anything in in particular. Uh, however, there is something kind of interesting about the name of that hive wizard. So. That hive wizard is titled the Scourge of Earth. And this is kind of interesting because all of the hive bosses in relation to Shivu Arath that we have been dealing with over this season and maybe seasons previous, but definitely this season, have typically been named Scourge of Enter Conquered Race here. Uh, so there was the scourge of the helium drinkers. There was the scourge of the ecumene. Um, there's a, there was like three or four different scourges that were all in relation to a race that had been conquered by the hive already. And so by Shivu granting the title scourge of earth to one of her, you know, very powerful wizards, I don't think Shivu expected this to fail. Like yeah, I, I think, no. I, I think she put two and two together there. Holy cow! I think she really thought this was this was it. Like Earth was done for, and yeah. this wizard, by being you know the general or high ranking member of the operation, had earned themselves that title. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. 
<laughs> checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so outside of that, the boss fight itself is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, pretty typical. But then, then after we are successful, we we defeat the boss. We have uploaded Rasputin in his engram form uh, into the station. But it's it's that like, did we do it? Because the uh, the imperative or the abhorrent imperative is at like ninety nine percent. Yep. Uh, as his upload is at like ninety nine percent, and then yep. it it cuts to black, and we get a really really great cutscene. Like like we said at the beginning, probably one of if not the best cutscene to date in Destiny. It emotional questioning it, it oh god it's so good so the very first piece of that cutscene that we get is the rooftop of the schnell building which is in the the last city i uh, part, part of the old scourge of the past raid i yep. loved i love that little throwback that was such a good one and we see none other than crow standing atop that building uh, and he pulls his hood back um, so that we can see his face. And he's looking at the Traveler floating over the city. And then the Traveler moves. Yeah. And it starts to rise up over the city. And we see everyone is is seeing some you know, is being affected by this in, in some way. They're feeling the tremors of it rising or, or guardians during the, right before the cutscene were uh, saying they could feel like a heartbeat. Yeah. Like the, the sensation of a heartbeat washing over them, uh, you know, just prior to this. And so now we're, we're jumping around to different people in the city. We see Mithrax, we see Saint and Osiris, uh, we see Ikora and Zavala. And, they're just watching the traveler leave. They assume. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's when I started. When I saw it start to leave, that's what I was like. I was like, "Well, yeah, shit, where are you going, big guy?" And uh, now there's a few things I want to point out at this point in the cutscene. Um, the first point, the very first thing we see is Crow. Yeah. Now, and he's like all alone. Like that was. Yeah. That that. I, I, it, I don't know. It, it concerned me that he was alone. So I, there's a couple things there that I think is, is maybe imagery we could read into. So the first being that, uh, that yes, Crow is alone. We don't see Glint with him. Doesn't mean Glint isn't there, but, uh, you know, transmatted out or whatever. Um, but and there's no one else. Glint's been like his like go-to yeah. buddy just because like, Every time somebody recognizes his face, they kill him. Right. Yeah. My minor issue. Yeah. Uh, but so so there's but he doesn't have anyone else that's standing there with him. And every other scene of other people watching this is groups of people. Um, and generally people supporting each other, you know, Saint Osiris, Ikora, and uh, Zavala and crows on his own and he's the yeah. only one i think we're seeing we are shown that is is on his own i mean even now, Keitel has savalo or uh saladin with her yeah yeah now the other thing that i want to point out is that crow and maybe it's just for dramatic effect but crow 
was up on the rooftop watching the traveler before it left. You know, we see a lot of the other are people reacting to it leaving, but Crow seemed to have made a trip up there specifically to watch the traveler. And why I want to call attention to that is because there has been for a long time a theory within the community that Crow may be uh, either officially or unofficially the next speaker. Because he has had more interactions, more, more communication with the Traveler through the Hawkmoon quest primarily than anyone else in recent memory. And the Traveler tends to communicate through dreams and Crow has, has had a lot of dreams about, you know, the Hawk of light uh, that has, that guided him or, or it was a Falcon maybe, but it guided him uh, to Hawkmoon. It, I, you know, made him realize in that Hawkmoon quest, I think was when he, he kind of came to terms with like, I am a guardian, you know, I am here to, to be a, a bastion of the light. Yep. Uh, maybe he had a premonition that something was going to happen, or maybe he got a message of some sort, Yeah. you know, pure speculation, but I think it's interesting. They really honed in on Crow as part of this cutscene, uh, to be like when, the first one shown and to be right. alone, and then even at the end, he kind of like it, 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 like not to jump ahead, but at the end, like he kind of like he, he gives like a smirk, like a like a huh, that sucks, and throws his hood back up and walks off. So it's yeah. it's almost like he's acknowledging something, right? Like, yeah, almost like I, I don't know that he expected it, but yeah, yeah no, something. It was, just, it was it, an interesting was, little. Yeah. It was very odd to me, just to, that that whole crow thing shown there. It was it was just too 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 spotlit, you know. Yeah, but so the traveler is rising up. It is it is leaving. You know, everyone is assuming it's it's leaving. It's abandoning us. Uh, Ido is telling Mithrax like it's happening. You know, it's yeah. happening again. Yep. Uh, and then we see Aramis at a control console of some sort, presumably on the, the space station, the Seraph station. And she's saying, you know, the great machine will never abandon anyone ever again. You know, she's intending to use the war sats to destroy it. Yeah. And we yeah, get... She's, she's going to blow it up. <laughs> yeah. And we get after that, we see a brief scene of... um. Keitel and and uh, Saladin, you know, from space, watching the Traveler has now uh, exited Earth's atmosphere, is now kind of sitting above the, the cloud line and is very visible. And we see Anna and Rasputin uh, watching, you know, Anna primarily watching uh, what's going on and she has the Rasputin frame there, uh, who's dormant, I guess, is the best term, because his kind of a piece of him is up on the Seraph station. Yeah, I th- and I think a majority of him is up there. I think that whatever's yeah. left is like just like a talking bit, you know? And so we see all of the, the warsats are now surrounding the Traveler and are opening up and are essentially pointing giant sleeper simulants at it. I love, it. I love you can you can recognize Warsat and Aquilos technology 
Yeah. It, it it's it's so recognizable, and that's literally what I thought it was. I was like, oh my god, that's what's inside a war set is a bunch of sleeper simulants. No wonder this thing <laughs> these things are freaking powerful as shit. Like this is ridiculous. I know, and sleepers getting buff next season. I know. I'm, I'm like, so oh, stoked. I've started using it already, and it feels good. <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, so you know, there's a, a plea from uh, Misrax to Aramis saying, you know, don't do this. This is this is not the way. Uh, and we see Aramis, you know, receiving these messages essentially at her control console, and in the reflection of the computer monitors, is the the visage of the witness yeah and you know the witness isn't behind her and she even looks like she she looks up sees the witness and then she turns around and he's not behind her so there's some question as to like is he in her mind to the degree where he can project himself like what what is that about just her thinking it like is that just right just is she is she just so afraid of the witness now that she's just started to see him everywhere in every action that she does now she's just like well he's got to be in full control now so like is it in her own mind is it him projecting himself into her mind like it's yeah Yeah. that one that was uh that was a freaky little bit there and then he says something well, not not at that point yet. Oh, okay. uh, she just sees him, and then it flashes back to um, Anna and Rasputin. Anna is putting in the initiate Aurora sacrifice into uh, a command screen, which will is the trigger for Rasputin's self destruction explosion. Uh, and you know she she has a a, a very hard time with finally going through with it it requires her to essentially like unplug the exo frame is is kind of the the last step in the kill command uh and you know she's she's killing him yeah it's it's what it's a sacrifice he wants to make and and is has asked her to do but it doesn't mean it's not hard yeah no Uh, that at that point in time, my wife and I were bawling. Like, we were just like, oh, Rasputin, no, Anna, why? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty emotional. It is. Um, and we, we come back to Aramis, and it's, it's interesting that as Anna kind of, like, has her hand on that, that cable and is, is having that moment of hesitation, it brings us to, to Aramis. Um, and Aramis is saying... Uh, or is hearing from the witness, make it know your pain. Presumably telling Aramis, you know, destroy the traveler, show it how much pain it has caused you by, by causing it pain. But it's a, it's, it's interesting to see that her trying to take revenge for her pain is causing so much pain for Anna on the other side because it's constantly flipping between these two scenes as this dialogue is happening. Yeah, a lot of lot of good symmetry shown between here of like may, maybe not symmetry, but definitely a lot of a lot of good like back and forth there of like yeah here's here's a, here's from one scene like she's re- Anna's ready to unplug like kind of ready to unplug it but not really, and then Aramis is kind of ready to to launch all the war sets and blow this thing up but not really like it's. It's this real like hesitation on both parts. And they they essentially both turn the keys at the same time. Uh Aramis for firing the warsats and and Anna for initiating the command. 
and we see all of the warsats start to start to glow. You know, the lasers are starting to to charge up and are ready to go. Um, and you know, at, at this point, Anna doesn't know what's going on because she's doing that has has essentially turned off all of all of the the power for the various monitors around her. Um, and so, you know, she's comforted uh, by Elsie for her decision. And Elsie is the one that points out uh, as the monitors start to come back up that, that the Warsats have destroyed themselves. They, they have overloaded and exploded without harming the Traveler. And we see it flipping back and forth between the various groups that we saw before. And people are, you know, taking this as a good sign, taking this as a like, oh, you know, the, the end is not necessarily right now, this, you know, right this second. Uh, and the other thing, and we get this beautiful shot at this point of the traveler hovering over earth uh, and the, the camera zooms out and turns to show us that this scene is exactly the key art from Destiny 1 in 2014 when the game launched. There's so many subtle little throwbacks there too because even even as it's like panning through all the, the different people, uh, when it gets to Zavala and Ikora, Right behind them are three guardians, a hunter, a warlock, and a titan. And they're all in the original uh, live-action uh, trailer for Destiny, for the original Destiny. It's it, those two scenes, like those two pieces of, of information. It, it, it was so good. Like, it was like this, like, oh my god, this is, this is really it. This is nine years of Destiny bridging together like it mm-hmm. oh oh it was so good so good so and as you know as we we hover on this for a moment it becomes very apparent that although the way is now open the traveler is not leaving is not it, it's still above earth's atmosphere it's still kind of hovering right above but it's not trying to flee yep and Aramis is surprised. She's saying, like, why? Why is it not leaving? Why is it not, you know, doing what I have always, you know, taking the coward's way out that I have always known it to do? It's it's staying. And uh, the witness now chimes in and says, because it has nowhere else to run. Now... I don't know about that. So that, that's the end of the cutscene. That's the end of the cutscene. And when um, while is, he's saying that, it zooms to all the all the pyramid ships yeah. coming in, and then like there's like one long ship, and that's the long ship. If you if you look really closely, you can just barely see it, but it's the big callous head looking ship uh, that we've the, seen in the Neomuna, yeah, um, yeah, uh, Lightfall uh, uh, trailers and stuff like that. So like, and all of that is over Jupiter. So I mean, it's. Fleet is coming. Like it's yes. it's it's if it it's fleet's been coming. Fleet's been here. Like they're they're like we've had basically two years of of incoming fleets and and whatnots and mm-hmm. like this is a this is a full on and and this is I think the first time that we've seen like 
a a full fleet. Like every once in a while, it's been like one, two, maybe three pyramid ships, a couple of scout ships to come with the pyramid ships. Uh, but yeah. this is like a full on pyramid fleet, like hundreds of them, uh, and then the the big giant Callus ship in the middle of it. Yeah. So I'm going to pause here because there's some things to talk about outside of just the homages to destiny history. Yeah. The big one is the same question that the Aramis had. Why did the travelers stay? And I think one negative interpretation of it is what the witness stated that it has nowhere left to run. You know, uh, and that, that, I feel is the witness being fairly arrogant yeah, about things like the, the witness is pretty seems in the few things we've seen them in. I uh, seems pretty assured that they're going to win. Like yeah. they, they just, it, it just required them hunting down the traveler and, you know, finding it and amassing their forces, but they're, they don't seem terribly concerned about whether they're going to win or not. I, uh, now, there's another interpretation, though, a more positive and hopeful, I guess, interpretation. And that, I think, stems back to uh, Rasputin and Rasputin's final act. So Rasputin even described himself when he was talking to Anna to convince her to assist him with this self-destruction plan. He told her that she taught him how to be a guardian. And if we think all the way back, all the way back to what the speaker once said, and that was that the requirements to be a guardian were to have devotion, which inspires bravery, bravery that leads Hold to sacrifice, and sacrifice that leads Are to you? death. Are you saying, are you implying, hold the fuck on. (laughs) Are you saying we're going to have a Rasputin Guardian? I'm saying that's maybe a possibility would be one interpretation. Get the fuck out of here. If we get a Rasputin Guardian run, I mean, I guess technically we already had one in Fellwinter, but that's like a, we'll talk about that in the next episode, in a a future episode, (laughs) but... If we get a full-on Rasputin Guardian, what what the fuck would that even look like? What what would that be? I don't honestly know. I have no idea. Would it be the little exo-frame with no arms and no legs just, like, <laughs> floating around? Like, is this going to be a Tannic-style little, like, oh, hey, look at my hovercraft. Like, what the fuck is that? What is the Rasputin Guardian? I never even put two and two together at that point to think of this idea of, like, bravery, self-sacrifice, like... But you're right. That's it. Like that's all of it. That's all the piece of the puzzle pieces required to be a guardian. Holy so, shit. <laughs> on one hand, on one hand, maybe maybe that is a possibility. Rasputin became sentient, became its own person, you know, even by even by Rasputin's own admission, he be, he became his own person. He was able to think for himself. And so I think it's totally possible that he he could eventually be resurrected as a guardian in some fashion. I have no idea what that would look like, but he meets the criteria. Oh, I got an even better one. Can you imagine a giant Sarah frame guardian? (laughs) Yeah. Like that's fucking terrifying. (laughs) Like what would that be? 
So a- another interpretation, um, and we saw this echoed a little bit in the Red War with Hawthorne. Uh, maybe you don't need a ghost and the light to oh, be yeah. a guardian at the end of the day. Yeah. And maybe the traveler is staying not only in recognition of its, uh, I don't know if debt is the right word, but recognition of its, its want to protect humanity and, you know, make this where its final stand is, but maybe also in recognition of, of a, a guardian's sacrifice on a very grand scale. Holy cow. Or maybe it truly has nowhere left to run. I, I mean, know. that's that's like that's the other option, right? Like that's <laughs> there's there's only so many answers to a question, but yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, I I got nothing on that, man. I I like I'm just now starting to kind of process this idea of like this Sarah Frame Rasputin guardian or this like <laughs> Tanix hovercraft half no arms no legs frame just like floating around like. How are you going to push button? How are you going to shoot anything? What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah. So presumably this has done uh, a couple of things, though. I'm you know, assuming, based on how they were describing, all of the war sats are gone. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that no weapon more is public events, no guys. longer. You don't have to worry about turning them heroic yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's fine. They're gone. No more war, uh, no more war sat public events. Yeah, no, that, that weapon is no longer in humanity's arsenal. Uh, for, for better or worse, not an option anymore. Um, and so... Paracausality or bust, right? Yep. The, the Guardian now, uh, we, we kind of do some, some hop-arounds to you know Zavala and Ikora and whatnot and talk, do little conversations about what the heck just happened. Um, and Zavala is surprisingly optimistic yeah uh and i i i I think that that his time during the the season of the haunted to revisit his nightmare of his wife has done that to him yep i think that's that's truly like he because because like during that time, if you recall, there's some there's one point in time where where his nightmare is like well is that that's your god and and he's like the traveler is no god of mine like he and i think he's truly come to terms with that that it's it's there mm-hmm. it's a thing and it's it's something to look at for comfort or whatever but it's not it's not like this all-knowing all-powerful omnipotent thing it it yes the light it presumably comes from it um and i say presumably because i like it released the ghost and the ghosts have access to light but even we've seen the the splicers of the uh, of the elixni access the light without any access to the to the traveler at all. So it's it's I think Zavala is really truly starting to come more and more to terms with that idea of this thing is is cool. It's great. It's awesome. Put some faith in it if you want. But it's not this like answer to everything. Yeah. Uh, ball giant ball in the sky. Yeah, and and he's very much like you know he he says more or less that he is choosing to believe that the traveler is staying to help that the traveler stayed yep. specifically because it wants to help humanity and 
you know, that we're, even if it did leave, you know, the best we can do is, is band together and, you know, take it to the darkness as, as, as much as we can. Yep. Uh, and he and, even says as much with talking about the new allies, like looking to, mm-hmm. to looking to our allies, looking to the cabal, looking to the elixni. Like it, it's every everyone in this system is an ally now. That that well, I guess not everyone in the system because obviously there's 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 still some red legion holdouts. There's right. obviously we'll have cabal. We'll we'll have new um, uh, callous legion uh, enemies uh, come lightfall. There's still some fallen holdouts here and there. Like there's there's pockets of stuff, and then of course there's the big two, the hive and the vex. I I still feel like as far as like pure enemies, the the hive and the vex are probably the big two, and the vex more than the hive, uh, just because the hive has lost two of their, uh, I don't know, would you call them gods, or oryx and Samson? I mean, the hive certainly considered them with religious reverence. Um, yeah. I don't know that they, I mean, clearly they aren't in, right. in the traditional sense, but yeah, we've definitely dealt a blow to the yeah. hive. Yeah. And, and presumably to go further up that chain, dealt a blow to the worm gods as well. Um, mm-hmm. cause I mean, that's, that's like the whole chain of command there. Like you take out, you cut off the, cut off the head and let it, let it bleed to death. And that's, that's essentially what we've done. There's only one head left yep. and she's kind of a, Meh. Like even 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 Rasputin mentions that like you know, with the Warsats gone, now the the Wraithborn are kind of pulling back. Like yep. even they don't really care anymore. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's well, an interesting thought. Well, their main objective, uh and, and this was talked about a little bit in the, the cutscene um a few weeks prior to to this was you know, Shivu is trying to get us to use to utilize the Warsats specifically so they can be used against us. Like her whole plan was get control of the Warsats to, you know, use our weapons against us. And although we kind of keyed into that, uh, it was at a point where it was still Aramis was still able to do it anyway. Uh, gotcha. And so now with the main objective, you know, failed, she's retreating to presumably regroup, replan, and, you know, see whatever she has in store for us come Lightfall. Sure. But so, uh, we, by contrast to Zavala, we talk to Ikora, and Ikora is kind of the pessimist. Um, she's still in that camp and we we see this even during the the red war uh where icor is the one that goes to io which i think is described as like holy ground because it's where the traveler last touched the last place the traveler touched uh and and she i think does have a much more religious connection to the traveler and has a little more of a a crisis of of faith and and she hasn't given up by any means but she's very much like i don't know what's going to happen i don't have the answers be with your loved one for however much longer we have left yeah it, it i mean looking at it in just like a, a face value thing it does seem like she's just given up like she's just like uh i don't know man just go be with your loved ones 
waited out till the end. Like, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> that's, that's what it felt like for, to me from her. And, and it's, you really do see that, like that level of loss and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's, maybe it's the warlock inside of me that sees a little bit of it. Maybe it's the pessimist inside of me that sees a little <laughs> bit of it too, but it's like, it's hard to see. It's hard to figure out like, what's the next step? Like, Oh yeah. This, this travel, this, this, this thing, this entity, um, that is presumably alive. I don't think it's a machine. I I think it's alive. Uh, has been there this whole time over the last nine years, and now it seems like it wants to leave, but then doesn't. Uh, it's it's very ambiguous. Yeah. Like it it's staying now, but it's really vague about like. Was it gonna try and leave, and then it decided yeah. not to, or was this, did it, was there like a different the, reason it, why it rose up? Is is this like the doomsday clock, right? Like it's moved two yeah. more seconds closer <laughs> to midnight, and now the traveler's like, "Up, oh, two more minutes away from Earth." Like that's <laughs> that's kind of what I thought for a little bit. It was like, I don't know how to interpret this. Like, I don't get this, but gee, please just give me direct message. <laughs> But uh, so after we visit those two, we go back to the helm and uh, the helm gives us a message um, from Anna or one of the the hollow projector uh, discussions with Anna. And it more or less boils down to Anna deciding that, um, you know, instead of finding her purpose by chasing what it means to be a Bray, she is instead going to decide her purpose by deciding what being a Bray means from this point forward. I, I really like that bit. Like, I, yeah, I mean, we're obviously right now we're, we're covering the Brays and on our main series. Now uh, we had just, we just finished up uh, Clovis Bray and we're going to be moving on to Wilhelmina and the Siva stuff. And then we are going to tackle uh, Anna, uh, and Rasputin. Uh, and it's, it's funny to me when I think of Anna Bray, she has, she, she's this guardian that got rezzed near where she, where she died during the collapse and was able to kind of like piece together bits of her past and has been chasing that constantly. Zavala has always told her, look, that shit is forbidden. That that's not who you are anymore. The traveler rezzes us with amnesia for a reason. Like that's the whole thing. You can't go living off your past. But she, but but it's kind of been to her benefit to do that because then she's been able to interact with things like the Warset Network with Rasputin, and and it 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 reminds me that as much as she claims the name Anna Bray. As a guardian, she's not, I guess, not really Anna Bray because of the whole memory wipe. And then when we see scenes of, like, her and her sister of Elsie, Elsie has presumably been the same Elsie since forever. Like, Elsie isn't a guardian. Elsie is, is an exo and can, again, presumably live forever. But she's never... She, I, I mean, she's died, but she's never died and been resurrected as a as a guardian. Therefore, never losing her memory. The only memory losses that she's had is from any type of uh, uh, of resets from LC zero to LC one to LC two to LC three to um, and myth and I theorize this to LC forty four because 
that's how many times Clovis is Clovis got reset as Banshee. Like that's they had to fight their way to the glassway through all that. And so yeah, like and then and then whatever the time travel stuff is that's doing to her body and her and her brain. Like that's yeah. There there there's a lot to unpack with Elsie, which again, more stuff that we will cover (laughs) as part of our brace series as a whole. (laughs) But uh when the two of them interact, it 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 still reminds me that one of them has a lot more memories than the other of like even their childhood, like the they're they're growing up together. Like it, it's it's got to be hard on both of them, honestly. Like on on the one hand, on Elsie, it's got to be hard because she has all these memories and she can't she can't just like relive those memories and those feelings with Anna, and then hard on Anna because she's she. She knows that those things existed, but has no true memory of them, no real connection to them at all, other than like what she kind of like allows herself to feel there. Yeah. And it's yeah, it it I I love the idea that that Elsie thinks, you know, well, screw screw this whole like I'm a Bray legacy thing. Oh, kind of like what what Clovis was all about. And she's more now like I'm going to be the defining factor of what a Bray is. Not me personally. I'm not going to be like legacy over everything, but she's deciding that the future is whatever she holds it to be, not whatever the past has told her it's going to be. So I, yeah, I really loved her little, her little talk there. And then of course got super emotional at the end when she's like, goodbye for real this time, red. Like I was like, <laughs> but now I'm kind of hopeful as this, as this newly idea of this Sarah frame Rasputin is like really starting to form in my head. And I'm like, is he going to have sleepers for, for arms? Like he's just going to be walking around with two big old sleeper simulants for arms. And he's just like, Hey, I'd like to shake your hand, but I can't cause it'll disappear. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. That just seems really fucking cool now. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad that I uh, gave you something to look forward to, I guess. I have a positive. Uh, <laughs> but no, going back briefly to to what you were saying about, you know, uh, Anna is, is abandoning the, abandoning looking for her legacy and is deciding what her name will mean for everyone going forward now, uh, especially coming off the tail end of our Clovis Bray series. That's exactly what Clovis was scared his children would do is that they would, they would overwrite his legacy by deciding a new route for the family. And I, I love that that symmetry is there. It's happening. I'm so happy. Well, and even, I guess even technically close Clovis himself, Banshee was like, yeah, fuck this big talking head guy. Yeah. I'm not dealing with that shit anymore. (laughs) I'm deciding what this shit is like. Yeah. It's I love I love that. I absolutely love that. So now we get to the elephant in the room. Oh my god. <laughs> uh we have one final interactable uh before the quest is done, and that is with the now empty exoframe that once housed Rasputin, where he has left a message for us, pre-recorded message. And in that message, we learn a few things. So the first, which maybe I missed elsewhere and just didn't pick up on, but uh, it seems to confirm that the Nifl stronghold 
is the location that we gathered the apparent protocol or the apparent imperative files from for Rasputin uh, during the last quest step before the finale. Oh, okay. So I, I think so is that, that like is that so the, the Seraph not the Seraph station itself, but the uh the super like secret the bunker. Yeah, the ground yep. portion of it. Kind of like how DSC has like two parts to it. There's there's the crypt itself, which is on Europa, and then there's Morningstar above it as a protective, like I'm just gonna crash into the planet and blow the whole thing up. Moon. I I keep saying planet, it's a moon. <laughs> uh I think the Seraph station is the same way. I think there's that super secret bunker that's down oh, below. Yeah. And that's, that I think is where we get the, 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 I think that is, uh, is it Niflheim? I keep wanting to say Niflheim. Niflheim stronghold. Um, now I, I, not I think that's that just one. Final Fantasy VII playing in my head. Like, I think so. Let's go to Niflheim. Uh, sure, Cloud, not... let's go. <laughs> Not that one. Um, I think because I don't know if you remember, it was a few weeks ago now, but uh, Rasputin has a, a secret request for us, and it's to go into the Cosmodrome where the the um, strike takes place. And we go to uh, the Cosmodrome bunker, uh, and we, we make our way through, and then there's an elevator that brings us down to a, a console that's isolated from the rest of his network. Oh yeah. And that's where he essentially stored the commands and history behind ha, behind the whole plan to to shoot the traveler if you know that's the right. need ever arise. That's right. I remember that. Uh, I think that room, that console off the network is the Nephil stronghold is oh, is what I took from okay. this dialogue. Okay. And apparently Within the data there, not only was there the data about the abhorrent imperative, there was also data about the Neptunian city, uh, which I don't think he ever actually names, but it, we know is Neomuna from yep. the Lightfall trailers and such. Um, and he says that the Neptunian city in Osiris's visions is real. I do not know its exact location, but it is home to the veil, an object of immense paracausal power, one that is linked to the traveler. Bum, 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 bum. Ooh, boy. So let's, let's back up just a second, because not everyone may know the significance of the veil in Destiny lore. Um, so the earliest kind of record of the veil i uh, did not come from official sources i uh, there was some destiny one cam uh concept art which had five races that were kind of scribbled out very again concept art very rough like just basic theming at the time and those five races uh four of them seem to line up fairly well with the races we know in game the hive the vex the cabal and the elixir but there was a fifth one and on the fifth one was a number of dark pyramids and kind of ghostly wispy smoky figures humanoid figures that concept art did not have names for any of those i uh, 
the name The Veil was first came from uh, supposed data leaks that were put out online from people saying, hey, I have information that I've gathered from Bungie in whatever way about the next expansions of Destiny. And in there, it was mentioned that a new race, a new darkness race named the Veil would make an appearance. So everyone immediately went, race five is the Veil. And that's kind of the idea that is perpetuated for quite some time now. This, uh, this this is all the way back in like 2014. Like this is, or pro- presumed. Yeah, this, this is D1. Like this is, this is pre D1. Like this is, yeah. like Destiny hasn't even come out yet. And this concept art and these ideas are starting to be put together. Uh, like obviously Destiny had come out by the time the ideas had been connected to the concept art. But yeah, like this is very, very early Destiny. And a, a lot has changed since then. You know, I, I won't speculate on what if those leaks were real, because uh, they could have been completely false. We don't know. Um, the concept art, I think, is pretty legitimate, because I think that was shown at a uh, GCX event from yep. Bungie. Sometimes, either GCX uh, or, a, or a PAX or, or a... Uh, yeah, E3 one of those. Something. Yeah. So it was shown by Bungie. So that, that is official concept art. But again, that doesn't mean, you know, just because they drew it doesn't mean they have to make it. Uh, And ideas can change between concept and production. And all of that was done, uh, you know, again, that was D1. It's been a long time since then. A lot of ideas have changed since then. A lot of staff have changed since then. Uh, So I, I don't think we can attribute the veil to being, oh, that's a darkness race. Even though that's been a community idea for a while, I don't, I don't think we can do that. I just don't think there's enough to stand on there. And that was, that was even like one of the things I asked Myth when, after he and I had both seen this and played through it, we're like, "Is what is the veil? Is it is that a person? Is that a people? Is that the, is that a race? Like what, what the fuck is this?" Yeah. So let's let's break it down a little bit. So we're we're leaving our preconceived notions of the veil and destiny at the door here, and let's try and redefine what we with the information we have so the definition of veil in the english language is a covering usually for the face or body uh, or for an item of significance often this is tied to religious roots of some sort uh so a veil is a covering is to keep something hidden now Rasputin has said that the veil is an object, not not a person or an entity. He very specifically says an object. Now, we don't know where Rasputin gets this information from, but I am choosing to believe that his word choice is very deliberate here. Sure. So if we're going to assume that this is an artifact or is an item, not a person or being of some sort, I there's a few things that come to mind. Now, the first being kind of on the nose, if a veil is used to hide things, and Neomuna has been hidden from everybody for ever, or for yeah. as long as we know, I think it, it stands to, to reason that the veil, maybe amongst other things, is what has kept Neomuna hidden for so long. 
like uh, like Wakanda style, right? In Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same same kind of thing. I uh, additionally, it is of immense paracausal power, and is linked to the Traveler in some way. I uh, again like paracausal force field for lack of a better word would make sense as as a way of keeping Neomuna hidden it would also explain why uh all of the different investigations that Ikora has carried out after hearing Osiris talk about his visions have returned nothing on Neptune uh it would explain why they weren't uh Neomuna presumably we may discover more later wasn't a part of the original collapse because they were hidden by this yeah. huge paracausal artifact. So, it's, which would be interesting too, because that means that they would be essentially the first beings with access to paracausality. Well, no, right. I can't say that because of Clovis Bray and the EXO program. But okay, yeah, no, good, got, good point there. Good little, point. A yeah. little bit, a little bit of both there. Then, so we got a little bit of darkness, paracausality through Clovis, and then this is since what I'm since Rasputin says it's linked to the travel traveler. I'm presuming light paracausality. Uh, with yeah, Luna. I, I'm making the same assumption just because there there hasn't been anything to suggest otherwise. You know, right. again, leaving those preconceived notions of the veil being tied to the dark at the door in game, we know it's tied to the traveler. Traveler seems to be light only. It, it I think it's safe to say it is a light uh, object of some sort. Um, so the other thing, and and we talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, off air, um, is perhaps this is a piece of the traveler. Perhaps this is the pale heart that the witness has been talking about. I really like this theory. I really like this theory. There was a, we, we had, had brainstormed a little bit. And again, from this point forward, all speculation, all speculation. Uh, That's kind of, that's kind of all we have. Like the only thing we know about this stuff is a, it's Rasputin refers to it as the veil. He, he, he says it's, it's a paracausal thing, and it's linked to the traveler, and that information about it was deleted from his ba- database, yes. which we had thought back in the because the, the first time Neffel Stronghold and all that was mentioned was during the Exotic Glaive quest uh, at the at, at Witch Queen uh, launch day, so about a year ago, um, and at that time we had thought, oh well, okay, if if and even Anna in game the the person that uh, the information is sent to about it says well if it's not in red's database he's the only one that could have just deleted it but in this message red specifically says i wasn't the one that deleted it somebody else wants to keep this thing secret and so presumably that someone would be the the neomunians ne- ne- neptunians ne- well i think what would they what would think... you call them neptunians or neptunian yeah i think I, I don't know. I, I like Neomunians too. Like either or. I like those. Uh, I, like, I'm, I like these words that I'm making up. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can be both uh, Earthlings and Americans, or you know, whatever. Oh, so there you go. They they can be both. There um, you go. But no, I I think it's an interesting point. I think uh, the Neomunians, uh, in particular, probably the Cloud Striders. 
um, are a very likely uh, kind of culprit for why this information might have disappeared because based on the Quicksilver storm uh, and Elsie's kind of reaction to the Quicksilver storm, they have technology that is so far beyond anything that even the golden age has ever come close to that it probably wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility for them to hack a war mind. Yep. And it's, and, and it's that level of thinking that's like, it's, it's, it's like the idea of like, what if magic had evolved over science and in our present day, instead of having computers, we all had spell books, right? Like that was, that's kind of like the, it's, it's all those different type of timelines. And so it's like, what if the collapse had never happened? What if, what if a group of humans had access to paracausality, presumably the, the veil or whatever, and was able to use it to continually develop over the next X number of years? Again, as far as a timeline, the closest thing we have is Petra's, uh, um, uh, mention of 16 centuries, so at least 1600 years of continuation with paracausality and evolving technology. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely where things like, and we we know that different colony ships were sent out with the with the different uh, uh, Exodus programs, all the different Exodus green, black, blue, all those stuff, um, and we know that they were all sent out with Siva. And the Quicksilver stuff, the, all the all little goop that's on it, and the, the Toki shell uh, that she finds out there, um, we know that that stuff is a type of nanomachine. So it's like, but it's like super advanced nanomachine. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, who's to say that, 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 that that's not what it is? Because that, I mean, that's what I feel like it is. So I want to interject. This is not related directly to the scene, but it is related to the Cloud Striders. I I have a small theory about the Cloud Striders. Ooh. So I like oh. mist theories because nine times out of ten they're <laughs> fucking awesome, and the tenth time it's just really sort of awesome. No, I'll take really sort of if that's all I can get. <laughs> but uh, so the the we know. And we'll we'll cover this in our Siva series, so slight spoilers for that. We know that Siva was uh, intended to be a colonization technology, to make colonizing other planets easier. We also know that Siva was loaded up on a number of Exodus ships to be used in you know, pursuit of that colonization. Now, up until this point with Niamuna and the Cloud Striders, it's been assumed that all of the Exo ships were destroyed in some fashion. Uh, with the uh, exception, kind of, of Exodus Green, which, you know, housed the humans that would become the Awoken. And uh, I guess Exodus Black, I mean, it, it's in ruins, but it's there. Kind of. As you can say, it made it. It made it somewhere. I don't know that it did anything once it got there, but it made it. Yeah. And we don't know that Siva was put on all of the Exodus ships. Maybe just a few. Now, Cloud Striders is very similar to another term going all the way back to Destiny 1. Oh, shit. More throwbacks. That being... 
that being the Cloud Walkers. Holy and the shit. Cloud Walkers uh, are only mentioned on a single item from Destiny 1, and that is a legendary uh, hunter cloak that the traveler, or excuse me, the speaker used to sell called uh, Cloud Walker Tribute. And the description, it doesn't have a lore card, but it has flavor text. And the flavor text says, a cloak which bears the emblem of the Cloud Walkers, the pioneers of the first Exodus. So, I think perhaps, whatever that first Exodus ship was, it somehow is ended up on Neptune and became the civilization that we now know as Neomuna. I, I think you're right. I, I, I feel like we're going to have all these little lore bits throughout the uh, exploration space that's going to be Neomuna that's going to like lead us back to all these ideas. But I'm, I'm 99% uh, on board with this idea that that uh that the cloud striders of neomuna if not all of neomuna are part of the original exodus program possibly the first exodus ship to actually make it out there uh had siva the siva evolved alongside paracausality uh and has now uh become this quicksilver stuff um which has given birth to things like uh the puka uh, the little fish thing that Elsie has that the drifter looks at it and screams, what are you? Uh, <laughs> that we had no, I like we're told very long ago. Yeah, that's going to be a thing. And then subsequently had zero <laughs> information about it uh, until basically lightfall. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that this is uh, I think this has legs. So the, other little bits that we kind of know about Neomuna, which might relate to this veil in some way. Um, we absolutely can confirm Neomuna has paracausality or knows what it is, but they do not know what ghosts are. That's true. And this comes to us from the Quicksilver Storm lore card in the kind of uh, command text uh, in that lore card. The Quicksilver Storm is printing out text about what it's seeing around it and it knows elsie it even knows that elsie is a bray tech model of exo uh it knows the puka and then it gets really angry about uh a ghost little little toki it it is you know essentially says like unknown paracausal being uh, you know, extreme caution needed. So by, by calling it unknown, meaning they don't know what a ghost is, but they do know that it's paracausal and their technology apparently has a way to check if something is paracausal or not. Got to have something to compare it to in order to, in order to confirm or deny that it is or isn't what you're comparing it to. Exactly. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking that this veil a is part of what keeps Neomuna hidden, and B, I I feel like it has a connection to the Cloud Striders, because Cloud Striders are such an antithesis of what Guardians are. Uh, for for those that 
have maybe missed out on some of the the interviews and stuff uh, since the Lightfall uh, announcements. Um, Bungie has said in some of those interviews that the Cloud Striders are volunteer only versus Guardians, which are conscripted, essentially. Voluntold. Uh, and that the Cloud Striders, by volunteering, reduce their lifespan to about 10 years. As opposed to Guardians, who are immortal. And the Cloud Striders have to cybernetically enhance themselves to become a Cloud Strider. Uh, whereas Guardians, you know, don't go through any bodily enhancement uh, to use their abilities. We just, we just throw that shit on our guns and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So it, it's an interesting thought. They're, they, they have a lot in common, but they also have a lot that is opposite of each other. And part of me wonders, and this is just a spitball theory that, that we were tossing around earlier, part of me wonders if whatever this veil is, whatever this paracausal power is, if it has the ability to bestow light upon somebody and give them paracausal powers uh, without need of a ghost, but because that ghost isn't there to kind of regulate or stabilize the physical form, like they, they require those cybernetic enhancements to allow them to live for 10 years before they you know, fall apart or disintegrate or whatever. I, I like that theory. I, I really do. I, I think of it as like the veil is, or, or, it, and again, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going with the idea of like the veil is also that pale heart. Like it is just a thing of pure light. And in order to make a cloud strider, a cloud strider, they just pour it into them. And then it's like, okay, drink up. Um, maybe add some stuff to yourself to not, you know, instantly disintegrate yeah <laughs> um kind of the way we saw uh gall instantly disintegrate right like he took yeah. the light into himself without a ghost and was like hey i'm a big bad baddie badass like do you see me now traveler like and the traveler's like yeah i see you now get the fuck out of here and blips him out of existence so it could be something like that with the cloud striders where it's like hey we have access to this light we're gonna try to use it but we're going to try to prevent whatever happens from happening when we do take it in. So, yeah, no, I, I like that theory a lot just because of things like the, the gall scene and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, the, the other kind of final piece that lends a little credence to, to that, um, to me at least, is in one of the Lightfall trailers, I, I think it was the very first Lightfall trailer, I, we see a Cloud Strider go up against a pyramid ship. Um, like pyramid ships kind of coming into the city and there's a cloud strider that fires what appears to be a rocket of some sort at the pyramid ship and it hits and does damage unlike everything that has been recorded (laughs) to have been fired at a pyramid ship like rasputin fired warsats multiple warsats and it just blipped out of existence and was like nah i'm good and then appears on the other side of him and deletes all those war sets and then it's like oh shit so through some form of paracausality and or technology cloud striders can directly damage 
the pyramid ships, and that has not been seen before. Nope. So I think that also lends to they've got they've got some special sauce going on. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, um, was there anything else in this uh, in this little cutscene that we uh, or or any of this little final mission thing that uh, we wanted to touch on? Say, I think that covers it for me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. No. Myth and I played it, and we. I, I don't think either one of us had a thought in our mind that we weren't going to do a special episode for this stuff. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're we're actually really <laughs> glad we were able to to knock this one out. Um, yeah. Hope you all enjoyed it too. Uh, Myth, you got you got any any other little extra tidbits or anything you wanted to add? Nope, that's it. All righty. Well, then, from all of us, Lord Daddies, to all of you guardians out there, thanks for listening to this special episode of Myths and Stories, and we'll see you next time.